Welcome to The Chris Rawl Show. You can find all of my work at www.chrisrawl.com. I have some essays up. Every episode of the show is up. Go there, hang out, do what you do. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook at Chris Rawl. Uh, and if you want to contact me for any reason, please email me, chris at ceo.com. Now, on to today's episode, where I talk about pressure in the world of sports. I'm on a continual search to unravel why I am attracted to certain things. Now, my love for sports is one of these things. And today I want to talk about one of the individual threads that I've extracted that I believe makes professional sports so, so, so very attractive to me as a viewer. One simple word, pressure. Something that we know within our own lives in various ways, whether we've competed in athletic events, whether we have this going down with work or family, or I I could list a million different ways that everybody feels pressure in their own life. Uh, And once you start to understand what it means to feel pressure, and especially the feeling that comes from having pressure on you, performing, and coming out the other side and going, all right, I succeeded in the face of this adversity, You start to get a better sense of why it's attractive to see others in that same situation, especially at the various highest level of whatever particular profession they may be in. So that leads us into sports. And if I were to pick one shiny example in all my years that I've been watching all of these different leagues to represent this particular concept, just this bone crushing pressure that can arise that when you're watching, even you feel it, I would point to Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals. One of my favorite games of all time in any sport. It's my favorite game in the history of the NBA for what it represented to me as a fan. But as it pertains to just pressure, we had a great confluence of events within this particular game that raised the stakes, up the ante, whatever you want to call it. And that trickled down not just to the players playing in the game, but outward to people watching, to people coaching, to me at home, watching it alone on my Lazy Boy. Uh, We had the Golden State Warriors, a blooming dynasty. They'd won the NBA title a year before. They just set the NBA regular season record for wins in a season in the 2016 season, 73 wins. And on the other side, we had the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had been beaten the year prior in the NBA Finals in the first year of LeBron's homecoming. He writes the famous letter that's in Sports Illustrated, Cleveland, I'm coming back. I'm going to win a championship. We have a city that had not won any type of professional sports championship in literally 50 years. We had the Cavs down 3-1 and then Draymond suspended for game five and LeBron and Kyrie go nuts. Comes back home for game six to Cleveland and LeBron goes nuts again. And now we're here. We're sitting in game seven. And the Cavaliers are still underdogs. I believe they're five and a half point underdogs, if I remember right. But you just felt there was some sort of shift going on. Call it whatever you want, fate, just a weird spiritual yearning or desire for a fan like me of LeBron or whatever. But there was something that you sensed going into this game that was just, all right, I got to tune in. And as the game went on, and especially once you get to the fourth quarter of this game, the stakes felt so immense that I could barely watch. I'm not even participating. I'm just, again, sitting at home watching. But it's a very addictive quality to have in 
an event, an understanding of how high the stakes are, an understanding of how much pressure is on these people to perform and trying to imagine yourself in it, just trying to imagine anything about the situation. If you go back and watch that fourth quarter of game seven of the 2016 finals, it's not a well-played quarter at all. Like you understand that everybody who's on the court feels exactly what I'm talking about. Stakes for legacy, stakes for playing for an entire city for a half century's worth of history, all of that kind of stuff. People are bricking shots and it's just, they're down. It's the knife fight in the mud, if you will, to still line from succession. It's just, it's ugly as hell. And you rolled around and what comes out of it? The LeBron block and the Kyrie three. Those are the two separating plays that push Cleveland over the edge. But this game is a perfect representation of pressure and what it does and why it turns something that could just be, oh, this is cool watching these two teams play. It turns it into something that is so riveting. I'd point to another sport, baseball, a sport that I don't think is that entertaining for me. And yet the greatest strong suit of baseball is playoff baseball because the sport is slow and there's not a lot that happens, but that works to its advantage in the playoffs because you understand the stakes. Again, legacy, playing for the championship, uh, financial incentives, depending on the person, team, all that kind of stuff. You get a sense as you're watching it that everybody's aware of this. So now you are aware of it in a sport that can just play at a snail's pace. Now it works in its favor in the playoffs because you're just sitting there and you're waiting for the next pitch and your team's down or they're up and you're just going, can you please just get this game over with? I just want to move on and feel like a normal human being again where I'm not crushed by this sense of pressure, this sense of I understand what is on the line here. And wow, this is at times really cool to watch at times uh, intensely not great is probably the best way of putting it. You just feel sick almost. So I'm always thinking about this particular facet of sports because again, it's one of the great addicting qualities that professional sports or collegiate sports can provide. Understanding the stakes, everybody involved understands them and you feel that. Now, this kind of leads into an event that happened over the weekend, an event that just, it's a total throwaway. It's the Honda Classic professional golf, but it starts with a simple understanding of why golf tournaments are fun to watch because pressure is involved. Now I can speak to this a little bit more in depth on the playing side because I've played a good amount of amateur golf, competed in various events for the last however many years. And as any of you have been in that position, know pressure is a very real thing within the sport of golf, even at an amateur level. Uh, sometimes you can't really explain why you were feeling the way that you feel, but you get in a tournament and you understand nerves are a real thing. You have your expectations, you have your desires, you have a brain that's firing a trillion miles an hour. It's thinking about what could go wrong thinking about what has gone wrong, thinking about just everything under the sun. Uh, and just, this is just cycling, shooting through your mind over and over and over. That's, that's the intro into competitive amateur golf. It's a learning curve that takes years to even understand, to be able to actually parse through your thoughts. And, and then even more to try and alleviate, uh, not even say master, because I don't think that's a thing that can be mastered, but just finding ways to deal with the pressure that comes with competing in a golf tournament. And this 
pertains to the highest level. Go and you can find all sorts of professionals. Uh, go and search them online or whatever. And there's a million different comments about, no, no, no. I, I feel all that stuff that I felt back in the day. That pressure, that nerves, that brain going a million miles an hour, the heart beating 100 beats a minute. And that's always there, but you learn to manage it. So this is a very intriguing quality to watching a golf tournament for me because I understand all of that, the more complex side of it. But even when I didn't, before I played golf, when I would watch a golf tournament, there was one thing that I understood. Pressure, period. Just the stakes that are going into a tournament. Now, knowing all of this, it, it heightens the viewing experience by 10 times, by 100 times, by a million times, depending on how you feel about this particular quality. So that goes into the Honda Classic, a throwaway event that's happening over the weekend. I don't really care about it, except for the fact that I'd made some bets on it. So I'm following my bets. Keith Mitchell get a top 20, weird stuff like that. But as we're reaching the stretch run on Sunday, a tournament that looks like it's going to be a run runaway. Daniel Berger, he leads by five going into the final round. And then he starts leaking oil on the front nine. The next thing you know, we have a tournament down the stretch. And it sets up what I found to be a really cool moment in a way that I was not expecting because, again, I didn't think I would care at all about this tournament. Uh, and we have Sepp Straka and Shane Lowry. They're tied at the... Straka's in the group ahead of Shane Lowry, who's in the final group with Berger. They're both tied at nine under going in the final hole. And Sepp Straka's pounding a drive out there. It's a par five. So he's sitting over his approach shot into a green that's protected by water. Doesn't look like an appealing shot, regardless of anything going on, much less what occurs. So I already know the stakes. Sepp Straka, he's never won on the PGA Tour. And that's always an intriguing storyline to me. Because these guys who have won a bunch, who already have a bunch of money, that's a different form of what you're thinking about in your mind compared to the person who maybe doesn't have those particular things, the person who's fighting for their card or who is just randomly in the mix at a tournament and they've never been. Sepp Straka, he's there and I go, okay, if I were in this position, I would be literally shaking. I wouldn't, I, my brain would not be able to compute. I just wouldn't be able to whether the adversity of this situation, the stakes would be too high. The understanding that this is my literal livelihood on the line right now, uh, I, would, I can't imagine being in that situation. So I'm watching him in this. Next thing you know, played at PGA National. It's out in Florida. Uh, the radar is saying, ah, there's a chance of rain. And it turns into one of those monsoons you get in the south. Just pouring rain. So now we have him sitting over the biggest shot of his life. 200 plus yards. And this par five into, again, not an easy green protected by water. And the rain is just coming down in droves. So now you have an extra thing that's tacked onto this pressure pack situation. We know the stakes. We now have the elements rearing their head at the, the time. And now it boils down to, can you execute this shot? The announcers are talking about, man, this is, this is not an easy shot. Much less now you're trying to perform different calculations for how far this ball needs to go. You can't afford to come up short because then you're in the water. But the density of the air is now drastically different. Anybody who's been playing and just suddenly has a bunch of rain coming down, you know that the execution of a shot there is drastically different. So now you're in a totally foreign place. All of this stuff is combining to me as the viewer. And I'm going, I feel kind of sick to my stomach. I've not bet on Sepp Straka. He's not involved with anything that I have to do financially. 
but just understanding what would be going into this moment. I'm going, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to hit the ball eight feet. Instead, he stripes an iron. Great, phenomenal shot. Easy two putt for birdie to go up by one. Shane Lowry, who's on the tee on 18, in this exact same scenario, rain just coming down. He hits an atrocious drive, uh, ends up not making birdie on the hole, so Sepp Straka wins by one. So it turns an understanding of the stakes and a, a desire to watch something that has a lot of pressure packed into it. It combines to turn this event from something that I wouldn't necessarily care about into probably my favorite thing that I was watching on Sunday. So now this leads me further down the road as we reach the stretch run of three sports, college basketball, the NBA, and the NHL. And I want to kind of extrapolate this out further as I search for things uh, of what am I interested in as all three of these sports try and get to a point where we just have one team left, champion is crowned, and what went into that? And especially the race towards that. And as I seek to identify, hmm, who has the most pressure on them to win a championship? Now, this is a fun game to play because of all these things I've been talking about. Because it identifies the teams or the players that come playoff time are going to be the most riveting to watch. It turns an event that could be cool, could not be. When you understand how much pressure is on the line, it bumps it up times 10, right? So we've seen this recently with college football. Georgia, I would say, was the team with the most pressure coming into the season to win a championship because they had recruited at an Alabama-like level every year under Kirby Smart. They had not yet won a championship doing that, and that stuff was starting to build. We also had the added history of Georgia, a team in a fertile recruiting ground in the best conference in America for football with all sorts of resources at their disposal, had not won a championship in 40-ish years. So those are the stakes coming into the season and regular season's going on. They're winning, they're winning, they're winning, but everybody knows. All right, there's still two things that you gotta, two hurdles you gotta overcome. You gotta jump. Alabama and you gotta win the championship. And those two things are kind of synonymous. They get pounded on by Alabama in the SEC title game. So now it's ratcheted up even more because they're still making the playoff. But we know how many demons they have with Alabama. They're losing to them all the time, all the time, all the time. Heartbreaking ways, too. And all of this culminates in Georgia getting the national title game, beating Alabama, really fulfilling fourth quarter that's tight. You feel that pressure. Georgia ends up coming out on top. And we have, okay, Georgia's the national champion. They weather this adversity. We take our hats off to them. And that was fun to watch because we understood how much pressure was on this team to win right now. Now, you don't need that much failed history to ramp up the pressure on a team, however. It doesn't need to be 50 years of Cleveland sports. It doesn't need to be 40 years of Georgia football. You can still have these really intense, immense pressure-packed seasons and moments because you get a team that's squarely in their championship window, and they haven't yet won. And you never know how long that window is open. Something I'm always talking about. And you always got to remember that the clock is always ticking. Those two things work in unison to create pressure within any sport. 
So college basketball, I mentioned. There's one team that I've kind of been circling over that I'm very intrigued by. I mean, first of all, let's start with what an incredible weekend of college basketball. The last few weeks, I've been watching a ton more of this sport. Been very enjoyable. Saturday was about as fun of a day as you could possibly find. Seven top 10 teams go down. That's the first time in the history of the sport that that occurred on a day. That's an incredible stat. Well, one of those teams that went down was the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Lost to St. Mary's that night. Big upset. But they're also the team that I want to watch come tourney time because they check the box for me of who has an incredible amount of pressure on their shoulders. Now, everybody has this, okay? Everybody has the pressure. It plays in perfectly to the format of March Madness, one and done stuff. That's why it's so attractive to watch. Everybody understands the stakes. It's win or go home. Doesn't get any more clear cut than that. So everybody has that going in. However, Gonzaga, their team that's had an incredible amount of success for the last two decades under Mark Few, have really ratcheted that up within the last decade. They've also not won a championship yet, despite an incredible amount of success. That's the thing that you always wear around your neck, you know? One of the themes of the show that I talk about that I hate, but a lot of sports fans, that's all they care about. Have you not won? Well, piss off. You've won? Great. Welcome to the winner's circle. So I was watching Gonzaga earlier in the week. They played San Francisco. And they just play a very fun, entertaining brand of basketball, first and foremost. That whirlwind style of offense. To start in that game, they're making everything under the sun. But I'm also watching Chet Holmgren, who is the number one prospect in next year's NBA draft. And I'm watching him <laughs> in that game and going, is this guy even real? He's their center? But he's doing kind of everything. He's drilling threes in that game. He's shooting 45% from three on the year. He's also this defensive whirlwind in his own right. I think in that game, he has six blocks and three steals by himself. Uh, it's the number one recruit in the nation that was attracted to Gonzaga, which is already an incredible story in its own right. If you seek to compare what the Gonzaga Bulldogs were in 2002 when they were the young, plucky underdogs, and wow, this is kind of a cool story to now... They're recruiting the very best players in the nation and adding that into the developmental program that Mark Few has set up to pair him with players like uh, Drew Timmy, who they have right now. You have all this stuff coming together. They also haven't won a championship. And they also are understanding one of the things that I think makes collegiate sports so cool and ratchets up the pressure. You only have one shot with this particular roster. That's true every single year. College football, college basketball. You got a four-year churn always. In college basketball, it's even less with these top recruits because most of them are just going to come in. They're going to play the year. They're going to go on to the NBA, which guarantee is what happens with Chet Holmgren. So now you have the pressure coming up again, much like last year with that Gonzaga team that ended up making the title game and getting bombed out by Baylor. But they were awesome. They were great. They also felt that with Jalen Suggs, one of the top recruits in the nation who they had last year, who ended up going top 10 pick in the NBA, going to the Orlando Magic but they realize we only have one particular shot with this particular team. They end up coming up short this year. It's a new thing. They lose to St. Mary's on Saturday, but they're still going to be a one seed. And once they get into the tournament, that's one of the teams that I'm looking at and going, okay, every single Gonzaga game I'm going to watch, A, it's going to be fun basketball, but B, I'm going to be really, really aware of how much pressure is built up and embedded into this team. So, March Madness happens a couple weeks. It's going to start. It's going to be awesome. Month after that, we're going to have 
the NBA, and the NHL enter into the playoffs. So right now we're getting into the stretch run of the regular season. That's somewhat entertaining in some ways. In other ways, it's just let's fast forward to the playoffs. But as I circle around who I'm intrigued by come postseason time because of the pressure aspect, there's a lot of teams to choose from within these sports. The NBA, I mean, you could talk Sixers and Nets just because of the Simmons and the Harden trade and how much that has overtaken the NBA as a storyline, but also just how reflective that is of you need to win now. You need to show proof of the vision of your franchise now. The Nets, it's incredible that they threw together Harden and Durant and Kyrie Irving and looked like it was going to be a dynasty to end all dynasties. And a year later, they didn't win a championship. They didn't get out of the second round and they just dissolved. Part of that was because they couldn't ever get on the court together with one another, which now is the story of this season. If you're trying to say, you need to win now, but you also need to be on the court now. Durant's been injured. Kyrie's got his vaccination stuff. Ben Simmons, who knows what's going on with him? I'm seeing reports yesterday from ESPN saying actually maybe his back's kind of hurt too. So we don't know when he's playing. So the Nets, we're still waiting to see everybody on the court together in a season that they kind of need to win now because we don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie and his contract situation. We don't know anything about what's going on with Durant or Sims. We don't know. We don't know anything. Winning solves all that. If you lose, if you play him out, what does that mean for the future? Who knows? Sixers are in a similar boat, but I think have a little bit more runway because of the locking down of both Harden and Joel Embiid. And the early returns with those two, they're promising. I mean, I watched both games over the weekend. They bombed out Minnesota and the Knicks. Harden looks like he's ready to play basketball again. Amazing how a dude who was struggling with all of these injuries uh, now is playing with the Sixers in a situation that he's currently happy with. And he's getting over 25 points and over 10 assists in both of those games to start. First person in the history of the NBA to do that with a new team, and he's done it twice. We'll see how that looks come playoff time, but you at least get a, a small sense of the vision of pair two stars together. Let's see what happens here. Okay, now we just got to start worrying about keep working on the fit and let's worry that two people who have recently struggled with injuries are able to stay healthy in the playoffs. That's the pressure on those teams, but you could go down the list for a lot of NBA franchises that are checking the boxes with, hey, you're in your championship window. You got to win now because we don't know how long it's open which leads into the team that I am most intrigued by come postseason time because they're all of that. And they also have the aging star who has not won the title yet. Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul. And I would say if you want a championship contender that is up against the clock, this is the one. They're the one seed in the league. Chris Paul, he's currently out with a broken thumb, but he should be back by the playoffs. They still look reasonable, although they've lost twice without him, including... Sunday against the Jazz in a really close game, but they'll be fine. I'm sure they're still going to be the one seed in the playoffs, but the playoffs is where you're going to feel the pressure for this team because all the majority of their roster is young. Booker, Aiton, Cam Johnson, Mikael Breeders, all those guys. The straw who stirs the drink is Paul. He's the one who has transformed their franchise from that team's kind of fun and looks cool, and they got some talent into bona fide NBA title contender. And with him, you got to say, how many years does this guy have left? We thought he was washed up and done two years ago. And he went to Phoenix and we said, oh, he's actually got a decent amount left in the tank. Turns out, just take him away from James Harden and he looks really good again. But how 
long does this aging point guard who has always struggled with injuries, including in last year's postseason, right now with the thumb? How many years does this guy have left? They're so close last year. They're up 2-0 in the NBA Finals against Milwaukee. You flip a couple plays in that series and the Phoenix Suns are NBA champions. Instead, you got the Giannis block. You got the Giannis oop. You got Giannis going for 50 in the closeout game. And Phoenix is now sitting here going, we can win an NBA title. We are definitely, at full strength, the best team in the West this year. However, we got to win now. The pressure is ratcheted up to 10. So... As we shift gears into the last sport that I want to talk about, the NHL, the two teams that really symbolize this for me played on Saturday night, Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. The Avs beat them, and you have two teams that are going in opposite directions. The Avs are the rocket shooting into outer space. The Knights are currently the rocket that attempted to be shot and had technical difficulties and is now puffing out smoke on the ground. Uh, the avalanche, you don't really need to wax too poetic about the team because if you watched them, you know. At any point this season, they are the most breathtaking team in hockey. You can take whatever team you want, your Panthers squad, your Lightning squad, your Hurricane squad, Flames, whoever you want to choose. Uh, I'm going to take Colorado. They have the star power, they have the depth. They have the ability to beat you with offense, with defense, with goaltending. If you want to understand how much of an explosion this team can be out of the blue, there's two great moments that came from the weekend that I would point to. One is an individual play. It is the game-winning goal against Vegas in the third period. Kel McCarr to Nathan McKinnon. Just the star power combination of those two is as fun as it gets in hockey. McCarr comes in, makes a play, draws the defense, sends it across ice. McKinnon, perfect one-timer, game, set, match. The night prior, they're playing against Winnipeg. They're sluggish as hell. They're down 3-0 after one period. Seems like it might just be one of those games. All right, move on and we'll go from here. And instead, you get the embodiment of the team name. Just when this team gets rolling, it's a literal avalanche. So the second period and third period of that game, it's an explosion. It's just coming at you in waves. It's the first line. It's the second line. It's the third line. It's the first defensive pairing. It's the second defensive pairing. And it's just coming and coming and coming and coming. And the Avs come storming back. They end up winning 6-3 in that game. And you will never see a team dominate another NHL team more than what the Avs did in the second and third period of that game. They're doing Harlem Globetrotter stuff. Gabe Blaniscog has a hat trick. McKinnon adds two more goals. But you just watch this team and you get a sense, man, they are so talented. They are so fun to watch. They're also a team who has not yet won a Stanley Cup. Great millstone around your neck. now. They're early into their Stanley Cup window. Fingers crossed, hopefully. Because a lot of these people on their roster, especially their stars, McCarr, McKinnon, Rantanen, Hayes, Landis Cog, they're young to youngish. But you don't know how long your window is open. So while the Avs are plus 450, they're the favorite to win the Stanley Cup right now, that still means that they have roughly a 20% chance of winning the Stanley Cup this year. A one in five shot. That's not good odds. I came to you right now and said, I'll give you one in five odds that you're dead, but four to five odds, or no, sorry, one in five odds that you're a billionaire, but 80% odds that you're dead. You're not going to take that. That's terrible. But it just speaks to how tough it is to win a championship. So the other team, the team that the Avs beat on Saturday, Vegas Golden Knights. And to harken back to an episode from last week about 
the willingness of teams to go all in in present day. The idea that more teams than ever are willing to push their chips to the middle of the table. This is a team that I failed to mention, which is an error on my part because they're the king in the NHL currently of this particular concept. They are ready and willing and aggressive in their capacity to go all in every single year. You see that through the acquisitions of all these people on the roster, whether it's Mark Stone or Max Pacioretty or Thomas Tatar, which didn't even last a season, but they're shipping out multiple high draft picks for, or Alex Petrangelo getting signed or the Jack Eichel trade this year. There's a bunch of people, all high level caliber NHL players that Vegas is going after. They're signing, they're trading for, they're burning through assets because they're saying, nope, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year, which puts an incredible amount of pressure on a team to win this particular year. So now they're going through major injury issues out of their roster. It's hurt. It's it's Stone or if it's just recently Robin Lehner, they're on long-term injury reserve. And now they're trying to stay afloat in the playoff race, period. They're neck and neck with the teams at the very bottom of the playoff picture. As of this recording, they're third place in their division, which puts them into a playoff spot, but they're one point ahead of Edmonton, who right now is out of the playoffs on the wildcard side. So you see there's a tiny separation between the Knights currently being involved with the playoffs and being completely out of it. So if you want to understand pressure in a slightly different sense, this is a great team to follow. They're much like uh, the Los Angeles Lakers in basketball. Teams that have burned through every single asset to create a title contender and now find themselves trying to squeak into the playoffs. That is an incredible amount of pressure. So this is, my mind started thinking about this as the Honda Classic was going on, but I just wanted to map out some of the stuff that I'm thinking about. And these are a handful of teams that I find very interesting as the postseason approaches. You might have a completely different list than me, which again, great draw of professional sports. Because if you really go deep, you can understand pressure for the vast majority of situations. Again, which in turn means, ooh, this is appealing to me as a viewer. You know, I could pluck out uh, Auburn in college basketball this year. You got a one and done team with Jabari Smith. You have not been this good before. Who knows if you will be again. There's a lot of pressure on Auburn to win this particular year. My hometown basketball team in the NBA, the Utah Jazz, a lot of pressure. Try to keep Donovan Mitchell happy. Who knows how long you have with this particular core. New ownership group, how willing are they to move and burn down the roster if things go awry? A lot of pressure. NHL, Panthers, Hurricanes, there's a bunch of teams that, yes, they're youngish. Yes, hopefully they're at the start of their cup window, but you never know when that closes. Look at the Winnipeg Jets, who a couple years ago seemed like they were primed for stardom, and now we're just squabbling around outside the playoff picture. There's so many teams across all of these sports. Again, your list could be very different than mine, but we all arrive in the same place. Place that I absolutely crave as a fan and as a viewer. Immense pressure to win right now. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. 
Additional reminder, please remember to rate and review this show on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to it. Five stars and a nice review. That would be appreciated greatly. Thank you. Thank you.